Broadcasting from the unknown regions in a galaxy far, far away, MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. Episode 9, everyone, and welcome or welcome back to The Last Podcast. I am your host, Sean, and you are joining me on an exclusive trip in the unknown regions. It is September 15th, 2019, on this recording date. It's super exciting to have you along for the ride in this jam-packed episode 9 If you haven't heard before, you can locate all of the podcast information at www.mrctechllc.com backslash the last podcast. If you want to become a fan of the show or you want to be cool and donate a little bit of cash, you can go to www.mrctechllc.com backslash become a fan. Any and all is greatly appreciated as we Need to make maintenance repairs to the hyperdrive pretty quick, so thanks for helping out. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit of Resistance Season 2, the Age of Resistance comics, a lot of game news, Galaxy's Edge, and the Hurricane of Dorian, Mandalorian updates, and some sprinkled-in miscellaneous stories. We're going to start breaking down Rogue One in Episode 9, We'll come on to our final approach in a surprise story. We'll finish up with comms chatter, and we will get you out of here safe and sound. The Navi computer has finished its calculations, so why don't we go ahead and jump to hyperspace. Ready? Punch it! In today's hyperspace spot, I want to highlight two different aspects of the Star Wars universe. The first being Resistance Season 2. Now, if you've heard the podcast before, if you've seen the tweets, uh, I did not really enjoy Star Wars Resistance Season 1. Mainly because I thought it was kind of silly. I enjoyed the animation, I enjoyed the artwork, I enjoyed the work put into it. But as a story, I just thought it was kind of silly. It didn't really start heating up until the First Order made an appearance uh, like at the mid-season finale. So uh, I wasn't too excited for Star Wars season or Star Wars Resistance season two. That's a lot of words to say at one time. Until I heard Christopher Sean on the Around the Galaxy podcast with Pete Fletzer. And he was sort of, he gave like a a synopsis of season two. And I'm like, oh, wow, he's going to give us some a little bit of information. And according to Christopher Sean on the ATG podcast, he says that Resistance season two takes place during The Last Jedi and leading up to the rise of Skywalker. So when he said that, I said, whoa, you now have my attention. I enjoy any kind of story that has... uh, an ending point which connects with a bigger story. 
So now we have to kind of, this is now in play. We have to consider that some character from an animated TV show could make its way to the rise of Skywalker. If there, if a year has passed between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, it is, we can safely assume that some of these people on the Colossus, the giant ship that came out of the sea, have connected with the current resistance in Poe Dameron. Obviously, Poe Dameron knows, where the, knows the Colossus, right? And he is now leading it. I wonder if he reaches up. Do we see Kaz in The Rise of Skywalker? Do we see uh, BBE4? I forget. The pink and blue droid. Do we see any of the ace pilots piloting any of the resistance ships going against the First Order? This beca- this show has now become real. There's a great possibility for a cross-collaboration here, and that gets me excited. So now I actually can't wait for October when the first episode drops. Some of the summaries have leaked online. I don't know if they've leaked, but I'm going to say leaked. Some of the summaries have leaked online, and I'm not interested in reading those. Like, I just want to watch the show raw, you know, without any expectation. Because my expectations before were very low. Like, I was I was going to watch it, but I wasn't going to watch it with any purpose. But now I'm going to start looking for little nuggets that lead to the rise of Skywalker. At the end of Resistance, do we get a animated character from real life? Do we see a Finn character animated? We've seen Captain Phasma. We've seen Hux. We've seen Kylo Ren. So do we see any Resistance characters coming into Resistance Season 2? I'm going to say yes. Are you kidding? Maybe the end of Season 2, you know, they get these coordinates and uh, the Colossus jumps to hyperspace and they meet in this unknown sector of the galaxy and a ship docks, and it opens up, and it's Ray, and she just says, hey, I'm Ray." Boom, and it ends. I don't know, but it would be pretty exciting to see that happen. So now I'm looking forward to season two, which means that it's going to be part of the podcast for sure. So when season two of Resistance starts, anticipate having two episodes per podcast reviewed at one time, since I do it every other Tuesday, opposite of the Iron Ryan show. So I'm looking forward to that. Moving on and sticking with the resistance idea, I splurged and bought all of the Age of Resistance comics digitally. I would prefer to get a paper copy, but hey, listen. New Age, I got a little fire kindle thing. And it actually is it works out pretty well. So the Age of Resistance comics is part of this Age of series that went from, you know, Age of Republic to Age of uh, Rebellion, and now it's Age of Resistance. I really don't have any interest in Age of Rebellion old stories, Age of Republic Republic old stories, um, Rebellion old stories. I am very interested in Age of Resistance because there's so much we do not know about the First Order, and there's so much we do not know about the current story. So again, it's bringing, you know, the comics have to teeter along an edge of, we can't spoil anything for the major movie, but we can provide insight into a character's mind or a character's decision that they made in a movie or something like that. So, so far, so good. You can catch my exclusive reviews of the Age of Resistance comics on the Reading the Stars sub 
series that I've started on the opposite week of the core show that you're listening to right now. And we'll go ahead and review the first few issues on Reading the Star, so make sure you check that out on the opposite week. So far, the Age of Resistance comics have included General Hux, Supreme Leader Snoke, Poe Dameron, Finn, Captain Phasma, and Admiral Holdo. I believe. I'm just doing that for my brain. I believe a few more are coming out, so I will certainly be getting all of them at this point. Like I said, I would prefer to have the paper comic. I don't know. It's like a collectible in my brain. So maybe I'll end up double buying like the Age of Resistance volume when it comes out down the line. So if we recap, Resistance Season 2 is taking place during The Last Jedi and will lead up to The Rise of Skywalker. That's super exciting. And then the Age of Resistance comics is going to sort of make these little connections for the characters we know and love. And if you don't want to read them and you don't want to watch the show, well, you can just listen here on the last podcast and I'll give you all the information that you need to know. So with that being said, we're coming out of hyperspace now. We are... Locked in on the coordinates that we chose in the unknown reasons, in the unknown regions. And let me just dial back the throttle. As always, the last podcast cannot exist without the love and support of the We Pod Squad. Greg and Sam, who host We Podcast and We Know Things, every Thursday, they just released episode 151 with a highlight of Gears 5 last Friday. The Iron Ryan Show episode 8 aired on Tuesday. He talks Hamilton and the history of how Lin-Manuel Miranda developed that awesome Broadway spectacle. Three very unique shows on one very unique Network, the We Pod Squad, is your catch-all for all the weird things out there in the galaxy, in the world, and in your head space. So make sure you check out all of our socials, We Podcast and We Know Things, Ion Ryan, and MRC Tech Talks, the last podcast on Instagram. IonRyan.com, We Podcast and We Know Things.com, and MRC Tech LLC. Dot com is where you can find and reach us and make sure you reach out because we love interacting with new fans, old fans, current fans, fans we lost, fans we've gained. And if you can like, comment, subscribe, and share the shows as you see fit, we would be most grateful. The Hollow Net Highlights is a quick peek into the news around the galaxy encompassing different topics from games to Galaxy's Edge to theories all the way to the weird and wacky as it concerns Star Wars. So we're going to start off with the gaming space. First up, we're going to tackle Vader Immortal Episode 2, which is coming to VR this year. As you know, I demoed and played the entirety of of Vader Mortar Episode 1, and which you can find out on my Twitch channel or even now probably YouTube 
as I have uploaded that cool video. And I know the mic is not great in that, and I plan on fixing that for episode two. But according to Ian Hamilton from Upload VR, found on VentureBeat.com, from the moment you feel the lightsaber in your grip in Vader Immortal, a Star Wars series, you start to feel like your open hand is missing something. Vader Immortal Episode 2 should fix that by giving you force powers. The next episode in the three-part series from ILM by Lab is due for release later this year. According to the StarWars.com blog post, a few details about the upcoming project were revealed during the D23 Disney fan event held over the last few days. The first episode of the series released with Oculus Quest in May and can now be experienced on an Oculus Rift as well. Vader Immortal was formally announced at Facebook's Oculus Connect 5 Developers Conference last year, and we are fast approaching Oculus Connect 6 on September 25th and 26th this year. That's where we can likely expect the next major updates about the project. Episode 1 takes VR headset wearers on a must-see journey that goes face-to-face with Vader himself. There's a cast of supporting characters and a lot more to be told in this story set up by The Void's multi-room Star Wars Secrets of the Empire. This visit to the Star Wars universe lets players see Vader's castle on Mustafar up close. Now, this is a little bit spoilery, so if you haven't played, you can skip ahead 30 seconds. The story is said to explore the lore of the planet itself. While it is a fiery hellscape that helped turn Vader into what he is, the planet was once a much nicer place ruled by someone named Lady Corvax. There's a powerful crystal called the Bright Star at the center of the story, too, and Vader needs to train you to help him. That means you'll be learning new powers in this installment, like a lightsaber toss and a variety of moves with the Force, including pull stun and a grip move to toss things at enemies. It sounds like we'll need all those powers facing off against new enemies like the Dark Ghast, which is described as being like the Rancor from Luke's cave fight in Return of the Jedi, except it has extra limbs. The lightsaber dojo portion of Vader Immortal faces to player off against waves of incoming robots. Episode 2 will include Dojo 2 and focus on teaching you to use the lightsaber and Force at the same time according to ILMX Lab. This sounds exactly how I felt when I played Vader Immortal Episode 1. I really enjoyed the environment. I thought it was very, very, very immersive. Climbing ladders in VR is super weird for your headspace. Uh, but only having a lightsaber and not being able to do anything, even just having a gun in the game to be able to shoot enemies for accuracy would have been better than what you got. So I'd like that they sort of teased you in episode one for $10, by the way, and that this will come out and you're finally, you know, going through Force powers because that's really what everybody wants. How many times, Star Wars fans, did you pretend to have the Force and your friend flew back onto the couch and it was great, 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 great fun? Now you'll be able to do that in the comfort of your living room against real virtual enemies. So I'm looking forward to that. Moving on, Star Wars Jedi Knight 2. Jedi Outcast hits Nintendo Switch, and holy bejesus, this came out of nowhere, for me at least, because I don't really follow a lot of the gaming stuff. And my man Kyle Katarn is back, and I am pumped about it. Jeff Grubb of VentureBeat.com explains, The Force user so nice, his game says Jedi twice. Developer Aspire is porting Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast, which is an absurd name, to the Nintendo Switch on September 24th. It's around the corner. 
This version only includes the single-player adventure, so no multiplayer for those who want to slice up fools in a deathmatch. Jedi Knight 2 originally debuted for PC in March 2002, and I played that on PC. Thank you very much. And it later came to GameCube and Xbox, didn't play it on those platforms. The game has you playing as heroic Jedi Knight Kyle Katarn. If Kyle Katarn doesn't show up in a movie, that would be a tragedy. The Star Wars universe would unite if Kyle Katarn got his own series. Who started out as an Imperial Stormtrooper, sound familiar, and was a mercenary for hire in the Doom-like shooter Dark Forces. In Jedi Knight 2, Katarn hunts down an evil Jedi while bumping into series favorites like Lando Calrissian and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Jedi Knight 2's release on Switch is notable because Switch currently doesn't have any Star Wars Universe games. Star Wars Pinball is launching next week, doesn't count. But maybe with Star Wars Pinball and Jedi Knight 2 breaking the seal, Switch will get more Star Wars games soon. Can you believe that the Switch has been out for so long and they have no Star Wars games? This will be a day one buy for me. 100% looking forward to streaming Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. And in our final gaming article of today it's a short one lego star wars battles is a competitive strategy game for mobile according to christine fisher of engadget the upcoming lego star wars battles is a real-time competitive jam for mobile while most lego games are tied to a specific platform and based on adventures this title breaks the mold anyone with ios or android will be able to battle in real time as luke skywalker ray darth vader and other familiar characters oh my god she used all the skywalkers in one sentence what does that mean just kidding the Games is a joint effort by Warner Brothers, LEGO Group, and Lucasfilm. It promises to blend LEGO Star Wars characters, vehicles, and locations with real-time, one-on-one multiplayer battles. You'll be able to build your deck with light side or dark side forces, and you'll find content from all nine saga films. Star Wars The Clone Wars and Rogue One A Star Wars Story. That's an edit. She says Rogue One A Star Wars. It's okay, no big deal. As you might expect, you'll build LEGO towers on the battlefield as you fight to defend and capture territory. The game should arrive in 2020 in the App Store and Google Play. It'll be available as a free download with, of course, in-app purchases. So, probably not going to get this one, but I definitely am going to get Vader Immortal Episode 2. Definitely going to get Jedi Knight. LEGO Star Wars Battle is not really interested in real-time multiplayer. I'm a single-player kind of dude, but it's fine. No big deal. Moving on in the HoloNet highlights, I'd like to cover some news articles concerning Galaxy's Edge. First and foremost, prayers and thoughts are out to any of the areas affected by Hurricane Dorian, especially the Carolinas. But despite Hurricane Dorian, Disney World Star Wars Galaxy's Edge draws thousands, according to Fox News. Dorian Who, the pull of the force, has loyal Star Wars fans flocking to Walt Disney World's highly anticipated one billion Galaxy's Edge attraction, despite Hurricane Dorian's race toward the Sunshine State. Though the gates of Disney's Hollywood Studios were not scheduled to open until 6 on Thursday, officials surprised the thousands of fans gathered with early entry around 4.45 a.m. Two Florida sweethearts even got engaged in front of the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run Ride that day. All storm-related uh, all storm related concerns aside, Star Wars lovers waited for as many as five hours to hop on the Millennium Falcon ride while people queued in long lines to buy $6 Coca-Cola sodas and thematic thermal detonator-shaped boxes. 
with both the Disney World and Disneyland branches of the buzzed about attraction finally open to the public. One expert believes the entertainment giant will quickly quickly turn a profit following the company's purchase of Lucasfilm for a whopping $4 billion in 2012. It's important to the company. It's one of their most expensive intellectual property acquisitions. Uh, Dennis Spiegel, an industrial and industry theme park analyst, told the outlet it would be the Harry Potter of Disney. Hmm, don't compare that. Months in the making, Galaxy's Edge visitors can look forward to building their own lightsabers. We've heard all about this. They're going to skip that article. Despite all the fanfare, locals who live near the happiest place on Earth were stocking up on water, gas, and the essentials as a Category 2 storm moved toward the Sunshine State. Officials for Disney World have yet to make a public statement regarding park hours or ticket policies in relation to the storm ahead of Labor Day weekend. Reps for the theme park were not immediately available to offer. So... You can tell that they were trying to push forward despite Hurricane Dorian, but Star Wars Galaxy's Edge still drew a thousand. So uh, definitely looking forward to seeing that in the near future. And speaking of those thermal detonators, you may have heard some rumors that they were not allowed on planes because they obviously represented some sort of grenade or bomb. Well, uh, updated on August 30th, 2019... The TSA reverses decision to ban stylized Coke bottles sold at Disney Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So here are your key points. The TSA has reversed its decision to ban the Coke bottles. Earlier this week, reports surfaced that the Transportation Security Administration had banned the souvenir from flights because it looks like an explosive. However, on Friday, TSA issued a new statement saying, We have completed our review and instructed our officers to treat these as an oversized liquid. So I was, as you know, I'm traveling to Anaheim in December, and I was like thinking to myself, man, I'm going to have to ship these back to the house because I definitely want to keep them because they're pretty cool looking. But now I can just throw them away in the check-in bag. So that is pretty rad. Flipping through the hollow net highlights, we find some articles on The Mandalorian and on EW.com. Below the Bounty Hunter, played by Pedro Pascal, fights a pair of Trandoshans in an exclusive new photo from the upcoming Disney Plus series. Star Wars fans first glimpsed a Trandoshan when Bosk appeared in Darth Vader's Bounty Hunter roll call in The Empire Strikes Back. Neither of these guys are Bosk, but apparently the Mandalorian has run afoul of notorious reptilian-looking hunting enthusiasts. So there's a nice a high-res photo on EW.com, so check that out. And what that could mean is that they're just trying to incorporate some of the characters that we've seen in Clone Wars and in Rebels and now in uh, you know live-action movies into The Mandalorian, so that's pretty cool. Moving on, IGN reports on how Star Wars... On how Star Wars's defeated empire fits into the Mandalorian. Disney and Lucasfilm are gearing up for the debut of the Disney Plus streaming service with the release of the Mandalorian, the show which launches on November 12th. With the service itself, we'll tell the story of the mysterious bounty hunter of the title some five years after the end of Return of the Jedi and the fall of the Empire. Gina Carano, Carl Weathers, Werner Herzog, Nick Nolte, Juan Carlo Esposito, and Taki Waiti also co-star in the series. Esposito of Breaking Bad plays Moff Gideon, a soldier of the Fallen Empire who has achieved a position of power in the aftermath of the Battle of Endor. 
The actor spoke to IGN at D23 Expo about his character, the state of the Empire and the Mandalorian, and what it's like to make the jump to the Star Wars universe. Quote, The Empire has basically fallen, he confirmed, so their relationship with bounty hunters is a little tenuous. I think they want to extinguish them because they create disorder. And they create, bounty means money, means it's not coming to them. We want to tax that a little bit, so it'll be interesting to see what happens out of that relationship. He also explained some of Moff Gideon's backstory. Moff Gideon is very, very intelligent and very knowledgeable, said Esposito. He's very particular about his operation and what he does. He's certainly rising. He was an Imperial soldier before the Empire fell. He uses all of what he's learned and has. Risen from the ranks because he has some sense of order, but yet he can be cruel and he will not withstand fools. And he's a traveler. He gets around and knows everything and no one knows why. Despite Gideon being a product of the Empire, the actor won't confirm whether or not he's a villain. He certainly looks villainous. We don't know, he said. Could be. Could be for good. Could be for evil. Could be the conqueror. Could be the savior. We all need order in our world, and this is an empire that has fallen. It has no order. Esposito admitted that he's totally geeking out over joining the Star Wars world, saying he can feel the energy of what it's like to be something as iconic as the franchise. It's a new galaxy, untouched for me, he laughed. So for me, it's like totally fresh and exciting, and when I think about it, I feel like it's going to live on forever. One of the most exciting eras of the Star Wars universe post-Disney purchasing is the time after Return of the Jedi to the lead-up of The Force Awakens. So much can happen in the 30-year span. So I'm super excited, as I've said before, that they are filling in some of the gaps post-Empire falling, because obviously the Empire didn't just fall, and all the soldiers were like, okay, you win. No, I'm sure there were some headstrong uh, fights. There were uh, Imperials who defected to the New Republic. There were Imperials who decided to die for the cause. All of this, I hope, to be explored in this Mandalorian series, so stay tuned for that. In our final article about The Mandalorian, I wanted to go over something that was reported on Entertainment Weekly, and the title of the article is The Mandalorian to Explore the Origins of the First Order. Love it. Written by James Hibbard, The Mandalorian is going to fill in some of the backstory of a big mystery in the current Star Wars trilogy. The upcoming Disney Plus series is set to explore some of the early origins of the First Order, the dictatorship commanded by Supreme Leader Snoke that rose up to secede the fallen galactic empire that was defeated in Return of the Jedi. Quote, This doesn't turn into a good guy universe because you blew up two Death Stars, Mandalorian director Dave Filoni quipped. You get that the, you get that the rebels won and they're trying to establish a republic, but there's no way that could have set in for everybody all at once. You have... You have in a Western where you're out on the frontier, and there might be Washington, and they might have some marshals, but sometimes good luck finding one. Also, what could happen in the 30 years between celebrating the defeat of the Empire and then the First Order, teased showrunner John Favreau? You come in on Episode 7, the First Order are not just starting out, they're pretty far along. Pretty well equipped, Filoni added. So somehow... Things weren't necessarily managed as well as they could have been if the galaxy ended up in hot water again like that, Favreau said dryly. In The Mandalorian, Juan Carlos Esposito plays Moff Gideon, a former Imperial governor now set adrift in the wake of the Emperor's downfall. So one possibility could be that Gideon seeks to reunite the scattered, broken factions, but that's just our speculation. 
There has been an explanation of the rise of the First Order in the expanded universe, and by expanded universe, they actually mean canon. The books, Star Wars Aftermath by Chuck Wendig and Star Wars Bloodline by Claudia Gray, told of how Imperial remnants fled to the Outer Rim, waged a Cold War against the New Republic, and solidified into the First Order six years before the events in The Force Awakens. The Mandalorian plans to use elements from across the Skywalker saga films, Clone Wars, and other animated series, and... Again, they use Extended Universe, but I'm assuming they actually mean canon, which means comics and books. The Mandalorian is the first live-action Star Wars TV series, as you know. One of my most favorite topics to talk about is First Order history. So if Finn is how old? 20? 21? 22? 23, right? And if he was raised from birth, that means that the First Order must have started their Stormtrooper program five or six years after Return of the Jedi. Wait a second, The Mandalorian takes place five or six years after Return of the Jedi. Boom, there's your connection. Uh, I'm super excited to see how they incorporate this. We don't need all the answers, but we do need threads to talk about. So I love, love this. Can't wait for November 12th. We are only, let's see, it's September 15th, October 15th. November 15th, two months away from watching the episode one of The Mandalorian. I hope you're excited just as I am. In our final segment of Holland Highlights, I'd like to cover a little bit of wacky and miscellaneous news, starting with Disney CEO Bob Iger resigning from the Apple board as companies come into conflict on streaming. Now, obviously, Apple Plus is going to come out with the debut of the new iPhone, or I forget really the release date, but the point is is that these major companies are trying to create original programming, and for Bob Iger to be on Apple's board, that would certainly conflict with his Disney Plus streaming service because a board is supposed to advise and direct the company in a vision, a strategic plan, so he could not sit in that seat and say, yeah, I think this is going to make you a lot of money, but you just can't make money if the subscribers are coming to us. So I mentioned this just because uh, Disney owns Star Wars and, you know, they're now going to be directly competing with Apple. So do we see maybe the DC Universe going under Apple's wing? I don't know. Certainly they like to partner up to create a, a viral buzz. So we shall see. Next, speaking of the future of Star Wars franchising, A Quiet Place writers, the movie A Quiet Place, writers met with Lucasfilm about Star Wars and Indiana Jones uh, by Ryan Scott on MovieWeb.com. Basically, the gist of this is that Scott Beck and Brian Woods became a hot commodity in Hollywood following the release of A Quiet Place, which was a very good movie if you didn't see it which went on to find critical praise and major box office success. The duo penned the screenplay for the unique horror hit, which was directed by John Krasinski of The Office. That put Beck and Woods on many studios' radar for other big projects, and one of those studios was Lucasfilms. As it just so happens, Beck and Woods met with a team about possible Star Wars and Indiana Jones projects. And here is just a quote, and we'll leave it at that. We went into Lucasfilm in the wake of A Quiet Place, and they wanted to talk to us about Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And we're like, we want to talk to you about what is Star Wars before it was Star Wars? You guys have a responsibility to start a new franchise. That's where our hearts have always been, just trying to create original ideas. Uh, continuing the quote, without giving away too much, it was simply ruminating 
on if we did an Indiana Jones mini, uh, movie, what would we want to see in Indiana Jones? Or if we did a Star Wars movie, what's the chapter of the whole universe that we would want to see? So it was very much an open canvas talk. It started going to the la- it started going down the line a little bit, but again, as Brian said, it's not just our DNA. We would rather create what the next Indiana Jones could be. So the reason why I bring this article up is because this uh, this pads my argument that Star Wars needs to expand and create new chapters. We can't just stay in this nine chapter saga. It has to have room to breathe, and I hope that Scott Beck and Brian Woods does eventually do. A Star Wars or even Indiana Jones movie. So let's look forward to the future of the franchise. Finally, a new documentary will attempt to solve a long-running Star Wars mystery. Written by Sam Ashurst of Yahoo Entertainment in the UK. A UK documentary crew will try to solve a Star Wars mystery that's baffled experts for decades, namely the identity of the Stormtrooper performer who banged his head on a Death Star door. Important stuff. The moment being investigated in Empire Strikes Door is an iconic blooper. There's a reference to it in the prequel trilogy when Django bangs his head on Slave One's door in Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, with an added sound effect and the special editions to underline the moment. But until now, the, uh, the identity of the actor has remained a secret. There are apparently three main contenders, all of whom are likely culprits, but only one is the actual actor, with the other two bumping their heads on unrelated and presumably not captured on film space station doors. Man, it must be really hard to see where you're going in those helmets. As long as you're not wearing a vision-blocking Stormtrooper costume, you can watch a trailer for the film, which will be aired on YouTube later this month. So it's called The Empire Strikes Door, and it is about the Stormtrooper who did bump his head. That is actually a cool Easter egg if you didn't know that. Uh, it's pretty cool. You should definitely check out the trailer, and you can find that at Jamie Stangroom. J-A-M-I-E-S-T-A-N-G-R-O-O-M. At Jamie Stangroom. That concludes our Holonet highlights for September 15th in, on Episode 9 of The Last Podcast. Look at him. He's heading for that small moon. That's no moon. It's a breakdown. Well, welcome to That's No Moon. It's a podcast. Well, welcome to That's No Moon. It's a breakdown. And welcome to part one of Rogue One, the first anthology movie that expanded upon the original and traditional saga flicks. And before I get into the movie, I did want to mention a little Easter egg about a novel that came out prior to the movie. So for those who only have watched the Rogue One movie, I highly, highly recommend using or using uh, reading or even listening to Star Wars Catalyst a Rogue One novel by James Luceno. And I just want to read a few excerpts from it prior to getting into the movie. So here's the synopsis. War is tearing the galaxy apart. For years, the Republic and the Separatists have battled across the stars, each building more and more deadly technology in an attempt to win the war. As a member of Chancellor Palpatine's top-secret Death Star project, Orson Krennic is determined to develop a superweapon before their enemies can. 
and an old friend of Krennic's, the brilliant scientist Galen Erso could be the key. Galen's energy-focused research has captured the attention of both Krennic and his foes, making the scientist a crucial pawn in the galactic conflict. But after Krennic rescues Galen, his wife Lyra, and their young daughter Jin from Separatist kidnappers, the Erso family is deeply in Krennic's debt. Krennic then offers Galen an extraordinary opportunity to continue his scientific studies with every resource put utterly at his disposal. While Galen and Lyra believe that his energy research will be used purely in altruistic ways, Krennic has other plans that will finally make the Death Star a reality. Trapped in their benefactor's tightening grasp, the Ursos must untangle Krennic's web of deception to save themselves and the galaxy itself. Pretty awesome synopsis. And what's cool is that this does happen prior to Rogue One and builds upon the characters of Galen, Lyra, and Jin. So as the movie opens, we sort of get that relationship, but we're not sure why he's after Galen in the first place. So I want to read you a little excerpt of chapter 28, the final chapter of uh, A Catalyst. And I'm not going to read everything, just a little, 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 a little excerpt. And uh, more or less... Uh, Lyra, Galen, and Jin, after figuring out what uh, Orson Krennic's up to, escape. So here's what that says. Jin stared out the front window of Saul Guerrero's spaceship. There were too many lights to count, but she knew that some of them were balls of fire, stars, and that others had houses and buildings, inhabitants, planets. Which one? It's too far away to see, Saul said. But we can go there, if your mom and dad want to. Through hooperspace? He smiled at her. Hyperspace. She corrected herself. Hyperspace. Should we go tell them what we found? You can tell them. She unfastened the restraints and put her boots on the deck. When, she, when Saul stood up from his seat, she reached out to take his hand, her small pink one and his big brown one, and they walked out of the cockpit together. Mama and Papa were standing by a window in the large cabin. Mama's arm was around Papa's wrist, and his arm was around her waist. They smiled when they looked at her and Saul, and Papa bent down, opening his arms to her. Come here, Stardust, he said. She hurried to him, and he picked her up so that she was almost as tall as he was, but not as tall as Saul was. I think I found the perfect place, Saul told her parents. Remote, a bit desolate, but tranquil. He nodded his chin toward Jin. Plenty of room for this one to run around. He pulled his data pad from his pan pocket and it showed them the image of a green, black, and blue planet with a wide ring. It's called Liemu. Papa looked at the image and said, It looks unspoiled. It's getting harder and harder to find worlds the Empire hasn't swept into its grafts, Saul said. More and more star systems are knuckling under. More and more planets are being ravaged and sucked dry for resources. Liam Yu is one of the exceptions. Papa carried her away from the window. What do you think, Stardust? Should Liam Yu be our new home? Can Saul come and live with us? Papa looked at Saul and smiled. Saul is a very busy pilot, but I'm sure he'll visit us. Right, Saul? Saul nodded and made his eyes smile. Someone needs to keep an eye on you three. He looked at Papa. I applaud you, Galen. I applaud all of you for taking a stand. You're my heroes. It's people like you who continue to inspire me to play a part in exposing the Empire's machinations. He considered for a moment, now looking down at Jin. Not everyone understands the sacrifices necessary to stop them. If we don't use every opportunity, every secret, every weapon available to stop them, how can we face our children? How can we hand them a future filled with such injustice? Saul turned to Mom and handed her a flat metallic card like the ones Papa used in his work. In the meantime, take this comm card. It will allow you to contact me if you ever need any my assistance. Jin thought about her old bedroom in Coruscant. I miss Mac V, Mama. Mama stretched out her hand to move her hair from her face. I miss him too, sweetheart. Maybe we can get a new Mac V. 
Jin nodded, still thinking about the old McVie. Mama looked at Papa without smiling. I guess we're just not cut out to be nomads after all, she said. Papa nodded. He also wasn't smiling. Funny to hear you say that, but we're a team. We'll get through this. No regrets, Mama asked. Papa said, none. Jin watched them and listened. She didn't know what the Empire was or who the Empire was, but Mama and Papa and Saul didn't like it. In some way, the Empire had made them leave behind all her toys and Mama's and Papa's clothes and other things. And Mac V, too. Who would have nothing to do without them here? But she felt warm and safe in Papa's arms, and Saul was a new friend. Mama and Papa were good, and so was Saul, and so was she. Good like Bryn was in the octave stairway. If they tried hard enough, they could find the home they were looking for. Saul went back to the cockpit, and Mama and Papa and she stood at the window. Soon after, the lights and space shifted slightly, then turned to long lines, and Saul's ship jumped and disappeared into swirling gray hyperspace. So that's sort of how Catalyst ends and they escape which is really really cool and that sort of bridges the gap between catalyst and the movie rogue one so without further ado this part one will be rather short because i'm covering some of the book material we are actually going to end with some book material as well so the video slash audio portion of this might be a little shorter but that's okay we're going to do something a little different and then get really meaty into the storyline so let's get started lucasfilm limited a long time ago in a galaxy far far away i know sitting in the theater i was like i wonder how this is going to open is there going to be a crawl and then all of a sudden, oh, dear Lord. I was like, okay, we're just going to get right into it. I kind of like it, which means we're going to have a different sort of intro. So I was all for this. Of course, this is the first movie uh, not composed by John Williams. First Star Wars movie not composed by John Williams. Um, but they got a pretty decent replacement. I think he's done a few movies before. So I'll make sure. I'll do my best with the audio levels. I'm using a an interface today to directly get that clean audio to you. So we have the planet Lam Yu, or Liam Yu, or however it's pronounced. And as it's described in the book, we're seeing it. Green, black, and blue. We have Orson Krennic's ship. We have a nice droid, pretty cool. Uh, young Jin. Again, I, we know all these characters, right? Because we're from the book. But we don't know how much time has actually passed. And I'm not going to say a lot of time. Maybe a year, two years. So we have cool Star Wars vibes already. Like, it's very reminiscent of the homestead in A New Hope, you know kind of that old-timey ad adobe. There's a little bit of blue milk there, which is cool. It's Vera. Got Forrest Whitaker, young Saul Guerrera. Pretty awesome. I do have Orson Krennic's Lego shuttle. Got that for a steal. Always confused as to why he parked so far away from the homestead, but I guess... Maybe for booby traps and sabotage. 
Remember, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. Love Mads Mikkelsen. He's such a good character. I love that he's in a Star Wars movie. First look of Death Troopers. Oh, man, I love the Death Troopers so much. Six foot plus monster beings. Just amazing. Galen looking pretty dapper. Older for sure. You know where to go, don't you? I love that Lyra has a a kyber crystal, you know, trust the force. Like, what does she know of the force, right? You get think about it. Like, the, the Jedi are extinct. You know, they're gone. At least in the public media's eye, they're gone. Young Jin's having none of it. She's like, I gotta see what's going down. It's a peaceful life. It's lonely, I imagine. Since Leo died, yes. Oh. Oh. So I really do like Orson Krennic as a character. My condolences. Search the house! <laughs> My condolences. Doesn't matter. Search the house. So the Death Troopers, a little fun fact about them is that they, it sounds when it? they talk, they're garbled, the but it's actually stole. like I need you to come back. like an encryption. It's pretty cool. I won't do it, Krennic. We were on the verge of greatness. We were this close to providing peace and security for the galaxy. You're confusing peace with terror. Well, Love that line. You're confusing peace with terror. Like, Galen knew what they were building. They knew they were building a super weapon. And he's like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. no help, Krennic. My mind just isn't what it was. I have trouble remembering. Even simple things. Galen. You're an inspired scientist, but you're a terrible liar. Now, I admire the effort. I really do. <laughs> Love this line. Oh, look. Oh, look. Here's Lyra. Back, Lyra. From, the Back from the dead. He's like, oh boy. I love that Lyra is sort of dressed oh, like a Jedi. It's pretty cool. As ever. You're not taking him. No, of course I'm not. I'm taking you all. You'll all come. You, your child, you'll all live in comfort. As hostages. Mm, what's going to happen here? The Empire. Heroes of the Empire. Yeah. Put it down. Think very carefully. This is her last stand. You will never win. Do it. <laughs> Death Trooper. Kill shot. <clears throat> Lyra goes down. Krennic gets hit in the shoulder. They have a child find it. Krennic is such a scumbag. Oh, God. He really is. 
So now Lira's on the, or now Jin's on the run like you wouldn't believe. I gotta get out of here. Just run into this hiding spot under a nice camouflaged rock, which is pretty rad. I'm not surprised because Saul Guerrera is pretty OCD when it comes to clandestine uh, missions and stuff. Love the Stormtrooper doll. Yes. beginning of this movie is so good, I can't stand it. Oh. We're assuming Krennic takes Galen, Lyra, dead. We don't know what happens to her body. Jin, patiently waiting, trying to get a lamp to work. Very sad. She just lost her mom. Like, come on now. She's, you know, probably in shock. Her world just got flipped upside down. We hear some footsteps. And we got Saul Guerrero. My child. Come. 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 We have a long ride ahead of us. And boom. Splash screen. And guess what? I'm actually going to stop it right there at the eight-minute mark. And the reason why I'm going to stop it is because all of this time passes between Jin Erso as a young, young person and Jin Erso when we meet her as Felicity Jones. And I wanted to highlight another book. Again, it's a book that centers on the character of Jin Erso. So here's the synopsis. And it's called Rebel Rising, written by Beth Revis. When Jin Erso is eight years old, her mother is murdered and her father taken from her to serve the Empire. But she is not completely alone. Saul Guerrero, a man willing to go to any extremes necessary to resist Imperial tyranny, takes her in as her own daughter and gives her not only a home but all the abilities and resources she needs to become a rebel. Jin dedicates herself to the cause and the man but fighting alongside Saul and his people brings with it danger and the question of just how far Jin is willing to go as one of Saul's soldiers. When she faces an unthinkable betrayal that shatters her world, Jin will have to pull the pieces of herself back together and figure out what she truly believes in and whom she can really trust so this was an excellent excellent read and uh, what's cool is it sort of opens up imperial detention center and labor camp leg 817 location wabani which is obi-wan interesting easter egg prisoner liana halleck number 6295a and liana halleck is what we hear in rogue one crimes forgery of imperial documents resisting arrest right the stormtrooper chuckled as Jin Erso fell to her knees. She raised her shackled wrists. You can take these off now, she said. Where am I going to run? She gestured to the long hallway and the dim glow from the illuminators above each cell door. It's more fun this way, the stormtrooper said, lifting Jin to her feet by the binders on her wrists. The metal bands cut into her skin and grated against the sensitive bones beneath. But Jin barely flinched. She didn't want to give him the satisfaction. 
They're always so dot dot dot. The warden, a tall, thin man dressed in black, waved his hand as if searching for the right word. They're always so noble when they first arrive, don't you think? The stormtrooper made a non-committal noise as he prodded Jin, forcing her farther down the dark hallway toward her cell. The warden chuckled at his own joke, then apologized. I'm sorry, it just amuses me so. I can always spot a freshman. They stand straighter. His strides lengthened and he's passed Jin and the stormtrooper, then turned in front of them, halting their progress. The warden grabbed Jin's chin, forcing her to face him. But Jin jerked away defiantly. He chuckled again. The fresh ones still have a little fight in them, he said, wrinkling his nose at the word little. When Jin didn't rise to the bait, his face soured. This way, prisoner, he turned on his heel and walked quickly down the hall. Jin stared ahead, trying to keep her tired feet straight so she wouldn't stumble again and further prolong the ordeal. They picked you up where? The warden asked casually. Jin didn't answer. The warden spun around and slapped her across the face hard. I asked you a question, 6295A. I was captured on a ship in the five-point system, she said through gritted teeth. Captured and arrested, the warden sounded proud of himself, even though he had nothing to do with it. And now, you're here. He swept his arm out but didn't move. One of the cells was dark and empty. The stormtrooper nudged Jin forward, and she stumbled into the tiny room. When she raised her wrist this time, he deactivated the binders. The light on the band blinked from red to green, and Jin's wrist fell from the heavy metal with relief. I'm sure you'll enjoy our little operation at LEG 187, or 817. The warden said he pronounced the abbreviation of the princism branch in a rush, turning the letter's leg into elegy. Jin felt it was an appropriate title. Welcome to Wobani, he grinned at the words, well aware of the reputation the planet held. Your crimes know that the worst the Empire has encountered are not to be tolerated. You have done a disservice to the galaxy, and to repay your debt to society, you will work. The warden punched in the code on the biometric data pad by Jin's door, and the metal bar slid into place, trapping her inside the cell. You will not like the work, the warden asked, his tone still mild and pleasant, and you will not like your new home here, but that's what you get when you commit crimes against the Empire. Welcome to the worst days of your life. The warden looked down his nose at Jin through the bars. She, he smirked slightly. No doubt he was used to the criminals breaking down at this practice little speech, but Jin just gaped to him. The worst days of her life, the warden could do no more than scowl as Jin laughed in his face. And then it kind of enters into chapter one, Jin Erso, age eight. And as the book continues on, of course, I'm not going to read the whole book to you, but it goes throughout her life, and we finally get to... And there's little interludes in here that, like, kind of put it back to present. The beginning of the book starts month one of Wobani, and the end of the book is month six of Uban, uh, Wobani. Prisoner name, Leanna Halleck. Crimes, forgery of imperial documents, resisting arrest, aggravated assault, possession of unsanctioned weapon, two counts, escape from custody. So clearly she had an enjoyable five months at Wobani. Hope Jin had found was by far the most dangerous thing in a prison. It was it made people do stupid things. It made them believe there was life outside the walls. And furthermore, hope hurt. It was a physical painful ache deep inside her chest. Jin felt it eating away at her lungs when she coughed from the dust on the rare day she was given farm duty. It gnawed at her belly when the ration cubes didn't satisfy the hunger. It burned her throat when the stormtroopers didn't bother refilling their filtration canteens. It stung at her eyes every night before she passed out from exhaustion. They were ants in the cell, no doubt drawn by Nail's stench. Jin's cellmate was proving difficult. She had even threatened to kill Jin. One more thing for her to survive. Jin watched the ants marching up the wall and through the corner where it met with the ceiling. There was nothing for them to eat there, but still they marched. Jin placed her hand against the wall directly in the ant's path, and they adjusted course, curving around the edge of her fingers. The ants reminded her of a 
Akshaya, and Akshaya reminded her of Hatter, and Hatter reminded her of just how much she had lost. She curled into herself, her hand dropping from the wall to the leather cord around her neck. They hadn't taken her necklace. She had been certain they would, but they hadn't. She still had this one link to her mother, her past. It wouldn't be hard to die. She saw death every day on Wabani. It was just a matter of putting down one's tools, refusing to work, and then a stormtrooper came and held a blaster up, and it was over. Simple. Jin felt as if her chest were filled with ash, but there was one ember still remaining, flickering orange and red, refusing to die. Jin clutched her kyber crystal, the hard edges digging into the calluses on her palms. Her mother had given the crystal to her because she had expected Jin to survive, to live, to not give up hope. The alarm for the work shift sounded. Jim stood. Her cellmate stood. They waited by the door. If they were lucky, they'd be selected for farm work. They were lucky. When the door slid open, they held their wrists up, waiting for a stormtrooper to put the shackles on. Jin didn't flinch as the heavy metal restraints closed over her wrists. The light on the base blinking from green to red. She and her cellmate filed in behind the others. They marched, their feet beating out a steady rhythm that shook the walls. Jin knew what to do. Follow her orders. She knew what to say. Nothing. But she also watched. Her eyes flicked left and right, seeing the stormtrooper, the other prisoners, the walls. She was waiting for an opportunity. The prisoner transport tank was not comfortable. It wasn't meant to be. Each prisoner was given a small, hard metal seat that folded down from the wall. Beams provided barriers between the seats, and the aisle was large enough for the stormtroopers to constantly patrol. Jin pushed down her seat awkwardly with her cuffed hands and slid into it. A stormtrooper came up behind her and used the magna locks to connect the center of her cuffs to the metal chair. It was surprisingly cold on Mobani. The cold crept through the transport's tank walls and air vents. It seeped into her bones. She flexed her fingers. The gloves they gave the workers did little to protect from cold. They were only meant to keep the skin on their palms so they could work longer. Jin thought of the Sinskin's gloves she'd inherited from Maya, and a pang of sorrow bit into her. Across from her, Jin's cellmate stared down at the floor. Her long-mouthed tentacles, reddish-brown and drooping, fluttered nervously. Jin leaned back. The aqualash in the group chittered angrily at the rough way the stormtrooper clipped his binders to the seat. They dug into his wrist painfully. The prison tank's engine warmed up and heaved into motion. It bumped along the muddy, unpaved road, jostling the prisoners. And then Jin felt a different sort of lurch. Her head jerked to the big gray door at the end of the aisle. There was a glow behind it like the rising sun peeking through the cracks around the frame, and then the door blew off. The stormtrooper who had rushed forward was blown back from the blast, his body prone in the aisle. Jin jerked up, cursing her restraint silently, her eyes wide. A group of humans rushed into the transport, a tall man with dark hair and stubble on his chin as the front of the line. While two other men looked defiant, while two other men took defi- defensive stances with their blasters. His gaze moved quickly around her cabin. He was clearly looking for someone specific. Her. Now there's more to this story. There is actually an epilogue, but it sort of crosses into the movie, which is great. So again, I love when books can cross paths with the movies. And again, you may not have read this, but I highly, highly recommend, if you enjoyed Rogue One, to definitely read Star Wars Catalyst, a Rogue One novel, the prequel to Rogue One, and then Star Wars Rebel Rising, a nice story of how Jin Erso came to be the Jin Erso we know how notorious she is and why her character arc now matters because of how much we know about her. So I hope you enjoyed this unique look at Rogue One and how the story is set up more in the book space and hopefully you were able to learn something throughout this process. So please check on back for the next few episodes to see the total breakdown 
of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, the first anthology film in the Star Wars franchise, branching away from the saga films. So thanks for checking out That's No Moon. It's a breakdown. As we make our final approach, I wanted to bring up a pretty big topic on the last podcast, and that topic is the now spoiler-free podcast that will be the last podcast concerning the rise of Skywalker. There will be no leaks on this show. There will be no theories discussed that could lead to potential pitfalls. That is a path to the dark side, and I've got no... Uh, I, I just don't even want to go ahead and talk Rise of Skywalker. We are under 100 days to the movie, and at this point, I want no spoilers. I want to be surprised. I want to talk about what we know, but I don't want to delve too deeply. I will probably talk about uh, some small connections here and there that StarWars.com releases, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm out. I will, of course, include some of my opinions if they do cross with each other, but I will not be actively seeking any Rise of Skywalker anything. So you can be rest assured that this podcast will not lead you down a spoilery dark side path. The next thing that I probably would break down is the actual trailer of the rise of skywalker because remember we only have a teaser we have d23 footage and we haven't had a trailer yet so i imagine that's coming soon when the trailer comes out that will be the last official rise of skywalker feature on the last podcast up until the week that whatever week the podcast airs prior to the rise of skywalker we will recap everything we've talked about before the rise of skywalker and we will get this big discussion going and we will make our predictions and then we will recap those predictions after the actual uh, movie comes out so just to repeat there will be no more rise of skywalker uh, theories news articles connections snoke did this palpatine did that ren's gonna do this ben solo ben demption raylo don't care Rise of Skywalker is officially closed outside of the next trailer on the last podcast. So spread the word because you'll be able to find some Rise of Skywalker free podcast entertainment for your ear space. Transmissions coming in. Let me just adjust some of these dials here. Let me just click them here, click them there. Okay. Um, yep. Hold on. Hold on, just got to decode this a little bit. And yes, we've got it. Whoa. Yep, yep, and got it. Let's get going. Comms chatter for episode nine. So the question I asked was, what are, your, what are some of your reactions to the D23 footage? Or do you have a question you want to ask? And of course... D23 footage could be of The Mandalorian, could be of Kenobi, could be of any little thing. Uh, so as always, M. Cassini, Mike, uh, wrote me a very lengthy DM on Instagram. And thank you once again for participating. So it says, hi, Sean. D23 was absolutely spectacular this year. Going down the line, the new footage 
for Rise of Skywalker was amazing, and I'm praying this movie makes a worthy bookend to the Skywalker saga. This will be the last trailer, in quotes, I watched, so I'm, I am hoping I am stunned in the theater when viewing it. The Mandalorian trailer has me so excited for this show. I honestly believe if they do the show correctly, along with the Obi show, they can create a new pipeline slash enjoyment we have not seen before in this media. I can see the opportunity to connect a lot of stories from different canon media using these live-action shows. I wish we did get a teaser for the Spy show, as Rogue One is one of my favorite stories, but I can but I can wait until next year. Twofold question in The Mandalorian. Do you think we will have any major Easter eggs? Three that come to mind are Black Saber, Boba, maybe a weathered-aged non-costume version, or even Ezra slash Thrawn. If I had to pick one, I would say that the Black Saber may be a big bounty slash pay day. Love it. Thank you, Mike, for that uh, contribution to the show. And to answer your question, let's just read it again. Do we think there will have any major Easter eggs? Okay, so let's think about it. Six years after Empire Strikes Back, maybe one of the bounties is Luke's lightsaber. Lost on Empire Strikes Back. Finally makes its way to Maz at this time. That could be very interesting. Do we see Maz Kanata's castle in the Mandalorian? Or are we only staying planet side? Will there be hyperspace travel in the Mandalorian? That's just right off the top of my head, Mike. So that is kind of pretty cool to think about. I would love to see a Boba appearance. Uh, I mean, according to Aftermath, there was green armor sold on Tatooine at one point. Either Tatooine or Jakku, I forget. I have to reread those books. But... It, a, it heavily insinuated that the Mandalorian armor that was, a.k.a. that was quote-unquote lost in the Sarlacc pit was actually not lost. So I'm I'm still thinking that Boba Fett got out of it. It would just be a shame to create such legend and such lore and then have him go out the way he went out. So uh, I really like your uh, mentions of Thrawn and Ezra. I think there's gonna, they're going to be more of an impact possibly in the Rise of Skywalker. I you know, or something down the line, like 60 years into the future, I think Thrawn and Ezra are sort of stuck in this timeless planet, think interstellar, and as when they come back, they haven't aged a, in a second, you know, but time has passed here, and they have to come together to defeat uh, a bigger enemy, and that's just my guess. So uh, stay tuned, I suppose, for more Easter eggs as the Mandalorian's coming up pretty quick, so Thanks again, M. Cassini, for putting that together and making that happen. And I hope you enjoyed the stickers I sent you for being such a fan of the last podcast. And if you want a sticker and want to support the show, all you got to do is donate a dollar. One dollar gets you a sticker. I'll send it right out. No muss, no fuss. Please support the show and help us out. Our comms chatter question comes from Rogue one so when rogue one when rogue one was announced initially and you got to think back think back think back think back when rogue one was announced initially what were your initial reactions to this new anthology series this movie had to hit home this had to this movie had to hit a home run in order for the star wars community fan base to accept it okay for me i loved it i'll speak more to that uh, you know, as we finish 
That's No Moon, It's a Breakdown, but I really did love it. So what did you think of Rogue One when it first came out? Or do you have a question about Rogue One that we can discuss? I'm all ears, and I hope you do participate in Com's Chatter for Episode 10, the 10th episode coming soon. Let me just close down Com's Chatter. I got to put my encryption back on so we do not get intercepted by the First Order. Hang on. A few buttons here. And there we go. Well, as we make our landing, I have to thank everyone for giving Episode 9 a listen. I hope you enjoyed it. Our hyperspace spot was about Resistance Season 2 in the Age of Resistance comics. The Holonet highlights covered games, Galaxy's Edge, The Mandalorian, and some miscellaneous wacky stories. Our first part of Rogue One was broken down, and I live reacted to that movie. And finally, there will be no more Rise of Skywalker stories featured on this podcast. We are beyond that point. Comms chatter. The question was, what did you really think of Rogue One when it was first announced? And that ends our episode. Episode 9 is in the books. As always, the last podcast cannot exist without the WePod Squad. We podcast and we know things and the Iron Ryan show. This week, stay tuned for episode 152 of We Podcast and We Know Things, followed shortly by episode 9 of the Iron Ryan show. We hope you look forward to those episodes and we hope you're having a good time listening to the We Pod Squad. You can find the last podcast on mrctechllc.com backslash the last podcast and become a fan under the same website please do so it would be much appreciated well this ends our time together friends so i again i thank you for listening in and as always as they say in a galaxy far far away may the force be with you MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast, copyrighted 2019, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music credits to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Music by Chillhop.com. Star Wars covers featured by Unicorn Studios and Pandemic on YouTube. This has been The Last Podcast. Visit the website www.mrctechllc.com for more information.